Hey guys, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Welcome to Paper Cut. This week, we're talking about Humankind, A Hopeful History, 2020, by Rutger Bregman. This book is a contemporary look at human morality and nature, bringing in research from fields such as psychology, sociology, and history all in once. Bregman's central premise is that human beings, when pushed into crisis, tend not to be evil, nasty, or brutish, and that human beings are far too complex to be labelled as evil during normal times. What The one main idea from this book I will say right now is that cynicism, being sceptical of humanity and thinking that humanity is evil, is for the lazy. So human nature has been discussed since the dawn of man. Really. It's not a new topic. And during the Enlightenment, thinkers were split into mainly two camps. So you had the Hobbesians that believed that human lives were brutish, nasty, and short. And opposing them were the Rousseauians, who felt that human beings were leading harmonious, peaceful lives, uh, generally good lives, until society came around and sort of bent them into more, uh, quote-unquote, evil creatures. So most of this book is an argument to the latter, and he proves this by deconstructing a lot of popular theories on uh, human nature and evil. So, for example, uh, you, you might have heard of Ma- Machiavelli's yeah. The Prince, yeah. and it is a very cynical look as to how leaders and principles uh, govern. So, if you ever read it, it's not very nice, and that's where the word Machiavellian comes from, right? Like, if you're mm-hmm. talking about a Machiavellian person, someone who's really cunning, probably very ruthless as well, not necessarily the nicest person in the world. And most people if who've read the book and if they talk about it with each other, they normally, when they read the book, and myself included, like, nod along going, yeah, yeah, I can definitely see this. Everyone agrees with this in theory, but when put into practice, there's no hard signs to back it up, as in sort of rises to power. And he says that um, most leaders that come into power are mainly amiable. And if you look at the characteristics they have, they're actually all very sociable, amiable characteristics. And that it's the power complex that corrupts them sort of later on. So uh, the whole idea of absolute power corrupting absolutely. Does this uh, kind of tie into the whole individualism versus collectivism concept? Because uh, I don't know, it, 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 those two camps that you described, it kind of sounds like one camp is saying people are inherently selfish and the other camp is saying people are inherently compassionate. So is this kind of like the same debate going on? It kind of is. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it an individualism or collectivism standpoint because that one I think is um, is a slightly different topic. But yeah, I, I will say it's a... It is a bit of a debate on selfishness versus compassion. Mm. So one of the examples that's given is that if you think about it, right, human beings in general are attuned towards social living. I'm sorry if you disagree, but for most people, it's <laughs> we are attuned towards social uh, living together in harmony and working together in groups. A good example is, for me at least, like your face. Human beings are the only creatures that can blush. Now, why would you need to blush? There's no survival, like, no characteristic. Like, it's not even, like, running faster or, like, jumping higher sort of characteristic to blush. It's one of those things that humans naturally do when they see someone that attracts them. And it's a sort of... It's, a, it's an expression in that sense. And so, sort of, if you look at it from a pure 
physical evolutionary standpoint. There's no reason to have this. It's only when you take it into the context of sort of social progression and how and social evolution does it make some sense. And another good one would be facial expressions. Like a child can detect whether you're crying, angry, or or laughing at a young age already. Like these things are almost innate and inbuilt in us. I want to say this book places itself in the more compassionate sort of. Uh, for lack of a better word, collectivism camp more than anything else. My interpretation of what you just said is basically that uh, humans are more probably more aware of their socialistic aspects, right? So I think in terms of animals, maybe one can argue that yes, they are still sociable animals. Penguins go in groups. Uh, lions go in prides. Mm. Yeah. But humans, when when we are in it, we 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 actively conscious of the effect it has, and maybe that's one of the reasons why we kind of blush and stuff. But anyway, just rambling. But I think it's more than just uh, conscious of it, because some I wouldn't be conscious if I blushed. It's only if someone told me I blushed that I'd be conscious of it. It's more. But I it's, think it's, it's something more innate. Yeah, but what I'm I was trying to bring out is that it's no, it's not that different to animals. But the reason we blush is because. It's more advantageous for us to be able to express such feelings at certain times, as humans, and therefore is an is is a human only characteristic. That's not to say it's not a natural evolutionary uh, consequence, right? I I would just say it's not necessarily even because we're conscious of it. In fact, I'm saying the very opposite. Even if we are unconscious of it, we it's almost innate these things like. Yeah, like for example, if you see someone laughing, it the first thing that strikes you isn't his lips are perched in a very specific angle, or or her, like his muscles are moved this way. It's more like a baby can point this out, and a baby's not necessarily a hundred percent conscious, you know, of what's happening. So I'm what I'm trying to say is these things are a little bit more innate than, or more uh, oh, yeah, in our subconscious. Yeah. So um, I, I see where you're coming from in that we can discern this, we can make this conscious, we can pull this out and analyze it. But I think. Deep down, that there is something more unconscious going on, something innate. Yeah. Okay. I understand. Um, I think just uh, I think I think you said something else uh, mm-hmm. later on about how uh, most leaders are what uh, they actually have quite amiable characteristics. And yeah. There's only the power complex that comes later, right? Mm. I kind of want to address this point because isn't that very I don't know? Isn't that a very convenient way of removing the selfish element of person and saying oh it's just a power complex that develops afterwards mm, mm. instead of seeing the whole thing as a whole and going oh actually people are inherently selfish because they all kind of always develop this power complex mm, mm. okay i see where you're coming from as well and i know that is a ver- it is a point of contention because it makes most sense right like to have these characteristics only when you were these characteristics beforehand there are two ways to look at this right the first way is yeah these people are always like that and they manage to game the system pretend to be amiable and all that to get into that place second way to look at that is to actually think that people were actually innately like nice and all that before they got into that power of position personally i think it's very hard to address because it's impossible to tell if someone was like innately good quote-unquote good before they went bad or if they were pretending to be good before they went bad because they both on the outset look the same to everyone yeah so i don't actually know myself how exactly this uh, sort of picture arises. I think this one in the book, it addressed it 
using sort of hunter-gatherer societies. So the ones that become leaders in hunter-gatherer societies tend to be sort of quote-unquote the good kinds of people. I think the book does go into further detail on, on how to unravel all this. Uh, it's a bit of a cop on my end and it just shows probably a lack of understanding on my end. I think, yes, it is good to be sort of skeptical about this, but at the same time, like, it is very telling that it doesn't matter how you get into uh, how, or what happens when you're in power, but the fact is that the road to power is built on nice people almost. Uh, a good example in history, I guess, would be well, you think if you think about it, I hate to say it, you're sort of revolutionary leaders. Mm. And, and yeah, it doesn't really address your point, like, is this innate okay, or is this acting? But I think it's probably... It is one of, those, it. one of those caveats in, what, in human history mm. where one side can believe one and the other side can believe the other. And yeah. There's probably no real sort of like concrete proof of either one of them. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, for, for, for all intents and purposes, I do get what this book is trying to say on this point, right? It's just saying, mm. just saying that, well, you can look at it from a good way and a bad way, so why don't you look at it in a good way? Mm, something like that also. And if you look at the psychology of a power-crazed sort of CEO and a, and a deranged madman, it's not too far from each other, if I'm honest. <laughs> and so, so, for example, like, you ever notice that all the CEOs in this world, they kind of, the moment they become like super rich and everything, they cheat on their wives. And that's the first thing they do. Think about all of them. So, so, so Jeff Bezos, yeah. Bill Gates, yeah. Mr. Elon. Yeah. They've, all, they've all done it. It's something about having the, so much power that just sort of corrupts that personality. And you look at Bill Gates, you might think like, oh, he seems like a nice little nerd. Uh, no. And then he divorces his and wife. He divorces yeah. his wife and makes her a billionaire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the ultimate sacrifice. <laughs> the ultimate gamble. I guess to add so to this thing, and I'm bringing a lot of ideas up, he also breaks down tales like Lord of the Flies, bringing in a real-life Lord of the Flies story, and showing that placed in a similar incident, like things, extremely different things would happen. So in the book, like the boys end up being very rowdy, mischievous, not very nice, and end up sort of hurting one another, being very tribal. And in real life, you see that that's actually far from the case. They actually all worked to get together. He also breaks down experiments of evil, so like uh, the Stanford Prison experiment. And if you look at that experiment, this experiment, they basically placed students in a basement, made a few of them guards and the rest of them prisoners. The result was that the guards treated the prisoners like crap, uh, absolute shit. So much so that the uh, that the experiment had to be cancelled in like two weeks or something like that. Okay. Um, another one would have been the shock experiment, whereby you have a researcher telling this person through a mic to press this button to shock um, another participant when the participant answers a question wrongly. And each successive shock gets a lot more powerful up until it reaches like the sort of kill switch stage. Uh, of course, the caveat is here that the, the other participant that you're shocking isn't actually getting shocked as, an, as a paid actor. Yeah. Uh, so you have these, and he breaks down these two sort of things as well, looking at the evidence, the way these experiments were set up, and also like pointing out quite correctly that these experiments face reproducibility issues. Are there any like examples of uh, what actual kind of flaws were described with, I don't know, say the standard prison experiment or the shock experiment? Because I think mm -hmm. I think everyone's familiar with those, and they are quite often used as well as an example that people are assholes right mm -mm. and to be honest like i don't even need to look at those like from my experience just 
I don't know, just putting people into a position of power, say like just just a small scale, right? E- even for example, the prefects of my school back <laughs> when I was like young. Or on a larger scale, you look at you look at like international news and all that stuff. You, you kind of see a trend of people in power being assholes, being mm-hmm. sons or daughters of bitches, right? So, so so my question is, you know, how does he justify those occurrences around the world while upholding the axiom that he? Well, he portrays in the book. Right. Uh, I'll answer your first point first about the experiments. So with the Stanford prison experiment, you might have heard this really popular one of this guy just screaming, uh, begging it to end. Funny story behind that one was he tried to quit in the very beginning, not because of like evil or anything. He just had a paper due the next day and he had to do that paper. And so he was like, can I get out? And the researcher was like, no, you can't get out unless you like, unless you kind of go through this experiment. Was this guy a prisoner? Yeah, he was okay, a prisoner. He was okay. a prisoner. And he once he had a paper due. I thought it was it would be a bit weird, the guard. <laughs> no, no, he was a prisoner. And, and he was just like, yo, I gotta do my paper. And the guys were like, no, you, you can't get out. So he's like, okay, okay, what, what do I have to do? And basic, basically, he was kind of hinted that you just have to sh- uh, help us with our experiment. And so he that's why he's not like screaming and acting and just playing up like all the worst shit, you know? Oh, okay. And then another one was that in the same experiment, people in there, the guards were actually like sort of treating their prisoners all right. And like you could see that, you know, the researchers, uh, Zimbardo and all, weren't getting what they wanted. And so they kept on egging the prisoners to be, sorry, the guards to be a lot tougher and uh, reprimanding the guards that who, who were not tough. So that's not that's not like playing on nature. That's actually forcing them to play the part. You're already like tampering with the experiment. You're already right? tampering with okay. the experiment. So that's not a very fair experiment to say the least. Um, with regards to the shock experiment, it's like when you really listen to the uh, recordings, it's not like a compliance to obedience. You know, it's not like oh, can you please do this? Would you kindly do that? It's more like fucking do it or I'll kill you, that sort of thing. I mean, like, well, not to that level, but, but a very it is very authoritative. authoritative. But when you listen to it, it's co- coercion and bullying. And so placed in that position, it's not very nice. And it was found that towards the end, it's actually like people did defy them. People were like, I don't want to do this. I, I don't want to do this. But it, it was more like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And it, it was pure coercion. So again, you're taking away a very natural sort of setting and you're almost being forced into an impossible situation in that sense. Okay. Um, to address the power of putting people into sort of power-hungry groups and sort of upholding it, I think there are two ways to look at this. First way is that when you put someone, say a politician, to power in the Western world, what does the media do? It will, they will never go for the good stuff. They will always, always target and destroy, like, oh, yeah, he made this policy you know, like, this is a shit policy, blah, 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 therefore he's evil. So, I guess in that sense, it's more like, you know, there's only so much you can do to uh, to brighten your image, number one. And number two, when you're in that sort of position of power, you're under scrutiny the entire time. People will always be pulling out your flaws and sort of uh, burying your, your good stuff. And so it's very hard to sort of justify yourself as a, as a good person. So, uh, an example I would bring up is someone like Obama came in bright eyed idealist came went out I wouldn't would you say he's an evil person because I wouldn't say he's evil no. I think he's had to make hard choices but I don't think he's evil no far from it yeah I mean like you know there are policies that people won't agree with mm-hmm. but I won't say he is evil any more than I would say Trump is evil yeah there you go 
I think it's one of those things where um, it's really too hard to call. And when you say, and it goes by the thing that putting people into power, it's a bit like, well, not everyone's going to get into that power. Into power, these are minorities of people. Unfortunately, like they also view the world as a bit of a as a bit of a free for all power grab, which is not very nice. But for the majority of people, I think the and that's what the uh, book's trying to strive at. For the majority of people, that's not what happens. Like I'll put the prefects in high school for a side, but mm-hmm. maybe say like local governments and stuff like that. They are more prone to maybe the compassionate side of things because there's there's less chance of de- developing a power complex when you when you're in that. But maybe when you look at like world leaders, like there's a bit more tendency towards going kind of batshit crazy with power grabbing. I wouldn't necessarily say so. I. So you think like it's kind of like the same throughout the entire system? Like when you go down a branch, it doesn't get worse as you go up. It's impossible to say. Like okay. these things, I think they're far too complex to analyze. So, like I say, Obama's an example. Like Merkel, she's been been in power for how long? Yeah. And I don't think she's gone batshit crazy. Like I might not agree with all her policies, but I don't think she's like evil. You know, okay. that sort of thing. But I think in positions of leadership, you will always end up pissing someone off, and so it's quite easy to push those people and categorize them as evil. But I don't think that's a bit the, that's necessary. I guess case. we will always see. I think yeah. I think another point to this is we will always kind of read the news that we want to read. So. Yeah, exactly. So that even if your government yeah. was actually the most efficient government in the world, for example, you'll never hear that if the, the news on a subject such as shit. this. It will be. It'll be a matter of what sources you pick. Yeah. And sources tend to be very, well... Biased in either side, but for yeah. both sides. Yeah. All right. Straight into the ratings, I'm going to give this book a 9 out of 10. I admit I might be biased because, quite frankly, I want to believe this book. But I think it gives a degree of truth, you know? In my experience, at least, very few people in this world wake up in the morning and go... I want to kill someone, or I want to do harm, I want to make the world a worse place. I do think I'm a fairly normal person, and I don't think these thoughts, mm. you know, so I think the best part of this, like, loyalty, sort of friendship, companionship, they often give rise to some of the more unpleasant things as well, so something like tribalism, you know, but I want to protect my people, that's why I'm going to shoot, that's why I'm going to kill your people, that sort of mentality, uh, it's a bit of a double-edged uh, sword, and, but that's not to say that we're evil, but that we would do things to protect those we love. We're more complex than that. This is an important book um, that really dispels so many long-held beliefs which don't really progress things in any meaningful way. So I think people should read this just to get a more grounded sense of what other people are like. Stop try- And stop trying to be cynical because it's cool, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't want to be sharing ideologies with a 14-year-old Rick and Morty fan. If you like what we do, follow us on Spotify or in any of your other preferred streaming sites. If you want to leave us a comment or let us know what you think, you can email us at papercut.dust at gmail.com or Instagram at papercut.dust, no caps, or Twitter at papercutpodcast, one word, no caps. Look forward to seeing you guys next week for another episode. Until then, I'm Nick and I'm Eugene. Peace out.